Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's not a standard father-daughter no. relationship. I think they're friends first and foremost. And of course, there's like he's a disciplinarian when he wants to be and when he's nervous about certain corners of the world that he doesn't really want her to venture. But then there's other moments when he's like, I've taken all the drugs in the world and you can too. Just promise me that you'll tell me. You're basically seeing a young man navigating being a father. And I was able to access the young man a little bit easier than I was the father. And I just hoped that the love that I felt for Frankie would translate into something that felt authentic. Well, hello there. Welcome to The Awardist, where we are chatting with the actors, creators, and more who are contenders this year. And we're breaking down the state of the 2023 Oscars race. I'm Entertainment Weekly Executive Editor Jared Hall, and my partner in executive editing crime, Clarissa Cruz, is back this week, <laughs> along with Senior Movies Editor Josh Rothkoff. Hello to you both. How are you? Hey. Hi, Jared. Hi. Um, I, I implied that we are criminals, Clarissa, so I hope that's all right. <laughs> well, we are sometimes, aren't we? <laughs> I mean, you know, in our, in our own little ways, we certainly are. Um, well, I, I hope both of you had a nice holiday weekend. Hope all of you listening did as well. Uh, perhaps maybe uh, you folks got to check out some of the awards contenders that are already in theaters or available to rent or stream. There are Plenty already playing. Uh, one movie that's been out since late October. It has a fantastic 97% score on Rotten Tomatoes. Josh gave it an A grade in his review. Is the movie After Sun, a father-daughter drama from director Charlotte Wells, who's making her feature directorial debut here, and starring the fantastic Paul Meskel, who I hope audiences know from his stellar performance in the limited series Normal People or the movie The Lost Daughter. Uh we are going to hear from Paul a little later in the episode, but Josh, I want to start with you here. What, uh, what is it in particular that you love about his work in this movie after sun? There is so much that I love about after sun <laughs> in general. So it's hard just to focus on Paul, but yeah, but basically uh, the, as I watched it, I realized that it wasn't just a father and a daughter on vacation. It, the film is really about one of them remembering this vacation. It's something that happened in the past. And the more you think about it, the more you realize, well, who's doing the remembering? And the more you understand Paul Mezcal's character, he plays the father, a guy named Callum. He's got some difficulties in his past that are never really articulated in terms of dialogue. It's never spelled out for you. It's a very oblique film. Um, he's practicing Tai Chi. He's very much attempting to meditate and control himself, control his physicality. He, at, in the beginning of the film, is wearing a cast. You, you presume he's prone to violence or makes bad decisions. And his daughter, who's just about to become a teenager, knows how to ride his waves. But the whole film is sort of pitched at a moment that you know everything's going to go wrong. It's like right before everything goes bad. There's a great sense of, of like an ominous sense throughout the film that I thought was really exquisite. And Paul Mescal has to really carry this film just with purely physical acting because the script isn't going to give him the dialogue to explain it. <laughs> so sometimes yeah. we see him... Um, you know, being a really good dad or having, you know, fun energy at parties or like getting his daughter um, involved in things. And sometimes he's very distant, standoffish. One point in the film, very late in it, we see him crying. Uh, at one point, he even walks into the water by himself at night. There's, it's, it's, it's a very elliptical and uh, sometimes kind of atmospheric film. But over the course of it, you really begin to understand someone who has demons and troubles. And this is all by dint of his performance. I, I would love to see him get the attention he deserves for it. Yeah, I, I am with you in that. Um, I, I love how so much is not said here. Um, and so much is not said in a very um, efficient time frame as well. This movie's barely over an hour and a half and they convey so much. Um, and I really appreciated that about it because... Um, 
A lot of movies do not do that. A lot of them, uh, you know, like to, um, well, they, they think a lot of themselves sometimes and they, you know, they really like to show off. And this one doesn't. It's kind of very humble in that way. Um, and, and I think Paul is actually a very humble actor, even, um, you know, for anyone who saw him in Normal People uh, was just really, uh, you know, a breakout from that and um, kind of gave uh, at times one of those very quiet performances as well. I'm not at all comparing uh, the characters because they're very different. but. Um, He's, I guess what I'm saying is he's just very good at that um, quiet conveyance of things. And you know exactly, you know, kind of how he feels, what he's thinking. You know that there's something much deeper going on. Clarissa, what yeah. do you think of him? I mean, I I thought it was great the way that, I mean, I, when I heard of the premise, I didn't think I would be able to buy him as a father of an 11-year-old yeah, girl. Yeah, good point. Because you, because you, you see him all, you know naked and horny and other and other things <laughs> yeah. and so i was like well he will he and he also has a very young looking face but i you know from the beginning you could see his deep love his character's deep love for his daughter and that wasn't even an issue at all i was surprised that you know like he embodied this father character and the sort of love that a father has for his daughter um in in such a way that I, I I just forgot about the other characters and I really believed him in this role and I thought he was great. I think it actually plays into exactly what you're saying, Clarissa, this idea that he is a young father and maybe became a father too young. Mm -hmm. Um again, part of the sort of suggestiveness of the film. It blows my mind to realize that this is a debut of Charlotte Wells, who's who was 34 when she made this film. Oh, I hate hearing that that kind of thing. <laughs> so young and such an accomplished film for your first film. She yeah. is uh, born in Scotland and actually posted a photo to her Instagram of her own father. This is an autobiographical movie, mm. and you see her as the 10 year old little girl in in the photograph. And and so she's been wanting to make this this movie for a long time. She's been living in New York and. Williamsburg and, and making her way with short films and other productions. But this is her, an incredible debut for someone to make. Well, and, you know, to, to that point, I think it's even more incredible that because it is uh, so personal to her that she was able to keep it concise. And there wasn't, um, I mean, certainly not in the final product. You know, there's not that issue of all these darlings that could have or should have been killed. Um, mm -hmm. She, yeah. yeah, she really told her story um, quite well in, in a very effective way. Um, Josh, you said you you hope that Paul gets the attention he deserves here. What do you really think his chances are? Um, we'll talk about Spirit Award nominations in just a minute because they got a lot. But in terms of the Oscars, what do you think his chances are? I mean, I can't snow you. I think his chances are slim. This is the kind of situation where there are are many great performances that are on what's called the bubble, right? And there are leading contenders. It's a big that bubble this year. <laughs> it's a pretty big bubble this year. There are, there are, I think, several leading contenders for Best Actor, and those names would be people like Colin Farrell and Brendan Fraser, Austin Butler and Elvis, um, Bill Nye and Living as well. But then there are a, a host of great performances in in indie films and smaller films that are that really need the nourishing and the attention. Paul Mescal is the kind of situation where if he happened to win some critics awards, if he won best actor, let's say from New York or LA or started the film's profile started to rise somehow, I think that more people would be motivated to see it. But I just, it just would be like a sort of a unicorn, a miracle if he actually made the bracket. It's certainly deserving of that. What do you think? I think that, I think that he is a charming presence on the campaign trail. I think people like him. I think a lot of people saw him in Normal People um, and, and also The Lost Daughter, which is on Netflix. And I think that, you know, his name recognition um, can can help here. Um, but that said, just just like you said, Josh, um, there are a lot of big names that he'd have to bump out. Um, you know, there's also Hugh Jackman in The Sun. And you can't you can't discount Tom Cruise. Um because he was in the movie that probably the most Academy of voters saw and loved this year. So I think, um, you know, I think unless um, he can bump out one of the people that we named as, as, you know, kind of front runners in the, in that bracket, um, it'll be difficult. You make a good point too, about that, about sometimes it really does come down to the box office and numbers. And I think that that's also why people are talking about um, Angela Bassett and Wakanda forever as a potential nominee because while the MCU has never 
had an acting nominee before, Black Panther will be seen by more people than any other Oscar movie. I mean, barring maybe Avatar. And that's not even me vouching for the film so much as just talking pure numbers. And so you're <laughs> you're absolutely right. People love Tom Cruise in, in Maverick. And so it's, it's, I would not be surprised if he bumps out someone like Paul Mescal and makes the bracket. I'm going to come back to those actors in just a second because you said something that's interesting about Angela Bassett. Uh, the MCU's never received any uh, acting nominations at the Oscars. But, you know, this movie, I akin to, on the small screen, uh, the, the kind of story that WandaVision told about grief. Uh, and, you know, we saw that those actors, um, Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany, did get acting nominations, uh, you know, at, at the Emmys that year. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've been thinking about that a lot lately and I'm glad you brought that up that, you know, this is really the most, um, I, I think it's fair to say the most emotional, um, well, maybe except for, uh, you know, the, the very end of Avengers Endgame, uh, but the most emotional Marvel movie that we've seen and emotion, you know, can certainly carry a movie a long way. I definitely agree with that. And I also feel like, Grief, just as a, a narrative device, is a, is a help for any actor. Like, I think that's largely why people are talking about Hugh Jackman as a potential Best Actor nominee. Um, his performance in, I mean, I, I will not be spoiling The Sun for anyone, but his performance in The Sun is one of those emotional sledgehammers where it's a, every parent's worst nightmare happening with a kid being depressed and obviously in trouble and the concern and the distraction that happens in his own life. And, and I think that it's a way of, I mean, it's a way of kind of coalescing everything that we love about Hugh Jackman. He's not, he, he gets to start off really happy and charming and he even has a dance number in the beginning of, of the sun. Um, but then descends to that like really ruined place. And I, so yeah, absolutely. Jared, the, the idea of grief is sort of like a factor in these nominations is, Huge. I think that The Whale is also a grief drama. Yeah, and um, you, you know, you mentioned uh, the sun being a, a huge Japanese performance, being an emotional sledgehammer. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people say the same thing about someone else you mentioned previously, Bill Nye in Living. I just think Bill Nye is one of the most incredible actors who does not. Uh, he doesn't get the recognition he deserves, I think, when it comes to awards. Um, I, I'm thinking about the movie About Time as well, uh, where he was just phenomenal. But um, do you feel like he is um, a, a long shot or actually has a better chance than someone like Paul? I would say a better shot simply because, well, two factors. One, I think more people are going to see Living it's got a bigger company behind it. It's actually getting relaunched as an Oscar campaign, even though it goes all the way back to last Sundance. And, you know, Bill Nye has his built-in fandom, right? You know, he's, I think he should have been Oscar nominated for Love Actually. I mean, I think yes. he's, whenever he's on screen, he's magnetic. Yes. And this is going to be the run of his life, this campaign. And also, I think that Living has sort of a pedigree about it in the sense that it's a remake of a Kurosawa film, 1952's Ikiru, which is beloved by... Ampus members. And so I, I do think that this, I just think that the, the elements of living might be a little more accessible than the elements of After Sun. All the reasons that we love After Sun, oh, it's so quiet, it's so sophisticated, it doesn't spell anything out. That doesn't equal, there's no equal sign to votes in that regard. It can't be both. I had to stop myself because because I wanted answers. You know, okay. I, I you know, I, I had a screener for After Sun, so I could, you know, had the I had the luxury of being able to rewind. So I wanted to like pause on parts and just be like, as if I could really figure out what happened, because the whole <laughs> point is that you can't figure out what happened. And, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and that's part, one of the themes of the movie, remembering something as a child inherently, you're not going to mm. figure out what happened because you're a child. Mm. Um, and, and I think that, um, you know, that might be, you know, in the end, I, 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 I appreciated that, but that might be something that will maybe turn off some other of yours. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. But in living, you, t you could tell some of the log line, an, uh, an, old, an aging bureaucrat realizes that he's wasted his life. He wants to make good, but he has a, you know, a fatal prognosis. Like, I want to see that film. And Bill Nye is in it, like, like a soul, souls yes. and souls. So I, I do think that there, he has a slightly better shot. I mean, we'll see, we'll see how it all shakes out. 
Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about another one of those guys who we'll see, but curious your thoughts. Um, Adam Sandler is a guy who in recent years, his dramatic performances have gotten a lot of early traction and then it just kind of fizzled out. Uh, do you think Hustle uh, gives him a better shot than he's had in recent years? I would say so, um, mainly because a lot of the campaigns that Netflix planned on doing uh, sort of fizzled. Um, and, and I'm referring to movies like Blonde and Bardo, which I think they were expecting warmer reactions to and they were not received well. And so suddenly Netflix is like, let's let's do a campaign for Adam Sandler. Everyone loved Hustle, myself included. I thought that was just rousing. And, and Sandler's having a golden age. It's not just Uncut Gems, which is amazing. But I mean, he's he's really diving into real acting and challenging material in, in, in Hustle. And He's, he's playing against someone in Guancho who's actually never acted before, which is its own challenge. And they both turn in great performances. I have absolutely no problem with Sandler campaigning. He's very quiet on the campaign trail. He's, he's the opposite of showy. He, <laughs> he, he always defers to his collaborators. Um, it's just not who he is. So I think that he might be a factor in him making the bracket, but you know, we'll see. And he's, yeah. and, and he's putting himself out there. I mean, even if he's quiet, just the number of events are, is a little surprising to me, knowing how he's sort of averse to right. that kind of thing. Um, but he's out there. I mean, and he's been out there and, and, and doing talks and doing events. And so I think that helps out a lot. I, I still am not sure that the Academy will nominate him. If they didn't for Uncut Gems, which I loved, I'm, I'm not sure they will for this. But I appreciate the effort. And I think he is deserving. Um, it's, it's just a, it's a crowded year. Yeah. Well, another one who's uh, in the mix, in that crowd, on the bubble, Jeremy Pope for The Inspection. What do we think of him? I, I think he's wonderful. He's He carries that film. The Inspection is, is the story about an out um, homeless man who decides to enlist in the Marines and put himself into boot camp. And so you get all the satisfaction of a movie like the officer and uh, an officer and a gentleman or something like even something like stripes, all those boot camps movies are in there. Um, and, and I think Jeremy just fine. Again, it's a situation where the field is crowded. A 24 has a lot of other movies that they're promoting. And I don't know. I think that one might fall by the wayside. He's so good in it though. He's great. I, I, I really, I really enjoyed his performance. Um, and a, a lot of it just seemed, um, physically challenging and emotionally challenging so i, I so i think I, again you know if there were 10 slots if there were I, I think um i think he definitely would um get into one of those but um but it's hard to say because it's and it's all it's going to take is all it's going to take is one of these guys be it paul mescal or jeremy pope or even adam sandler winning a critics group or two or gaining momentum from some other way or maybe it's gabriel union doing something and then bringing jeremy pope into the discussion um, that's, that's how it happens. You know, Angela Bassett is, is now doing press obviously for Wakanda forever, but she's made a, a couple of mentions of this film. She narrates called Goodnight Oppie, which is a documentary about the Mars Rover. Every time she does that, that film's prospects rise. So it's a, it's a very complicated calculus sometimes. Mm -hmm. When yeah. you said Gabriel, I thought you were going to say Gabriel uh, LaBelle from um, Fablemans, which is somebody that we, have, that we, yeah, which we haven't talked about for best actor. Um, but, um, but I, th I think he, I think he's up there. I, you know, if there's a yeah. Fableman's sweep, um, I could see him p potentially um, getting there, just riding the wave of the movie. We know from Joey Nolfi's Heat Index that the Fableman's is on the rise, which, uh, you know, as that movie uh, continues to get more and more um, attention and exposure, that could pull Gabriel along with it. Um, and then from Dave Carter's predictions, he has Gabriel up there as well. Someone else who Dave mentions in his recent um, predictions post, uh, who's he does not have in his top 10, but is someone who uh, Dave and Clarissa, you both on a recent episode said there's no chance in hell he's going to get nominated, but more people are seeing it. And it feels like they're trying in some ways to separate the quote unquote, the crime, the, the incident, um, from the performance, Will Smith, Josh, uh, do you think he stands any chance of recognition for this role? I say this without having seen emancipation yet. And I, I look forward to that, but 
to answer your question directly, no. He does not have a chance. I mean, I if you think about it like this, Brendan Fraser, he's beloved by the Academy. He, everyone's falling. I mean, he's beloved just before the whale by, by the Academy and he might lose. He could very well may lose best actor to Colin Farrell. So the idea of someone who has actively resentful uh, voters against him, potentially upsetting someone or even making the bracket. I just, I think there's, I think it's too soon. We're, we're not even a year out from the slap and I just can't even imagine the public relations disaster that would accompany him at being a part of the bracket. Again, I say that as, as someone who hasn't seen the film and also as someone who likes Will Smith's performances. I, and I, I'm on record as I'm being a fan of him, but I just, I really think that they're going to be trying to heal this year. I, and I think there are going to be too many people who are not voting for him. It's one thing though, for him to win, which I don't think would happen, but it's another thing for him to get nominated. Um, it, it, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's interesting because I feel like there's definitely a divide between what Academy voters will do and what the audiences, general public who are going to be watching it are going to be thinking, because um, I, I'm not convinced that they have the same feelings that an Academy voter would when it comes to the incident and maybe OK, but this is all conjecture on my part. I, I, <laughs> I, I just think that I, I just think there, there might be a divide there. I think that you're absolutely right about that divide in the sense that the, the, the audiences and the voters have different perspectives. But I actually think that the, the Ampus voters are more negative on Will Smith than the audiences. The audiences and people who are not part of Ampus were the ones who were tweeting in, on social media saying, why are we so quick to judge Will Smith? The Ampus members feel hurt almost like physically hurt by what they did to the show and how everyone else after the slap was tarnished by it. And there was no way to, even the, even the publicity team on, on King Richard, you know, there was no way to save that film after all that work. And no one talks to the Williams sisters about it either because they're mortified. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was embarrassing for a lot of people, for sure. Um, well, uh, by the way, it's just a note to everyone listening. You can see uh, more of Dave Carter's predictions and uh, Joey Nolfi's uh, analysis of the race at EW.com. All right, Josh, let's talk Governor's Awards. Uh, the uh, honorary awards, those actual Oscar statuettes, uh, were presented to a handful of people, including Diane Warren. Cher presented hers. Uh, and then uh, Peter Weir by Jeff Brown. Bridges, as well as Use On Palsy by Viola Davis. And then uh, in a moment that um, a lot of people are starting to talk about, um, Michael J. Fox uh, received the Gene Herschel Humanitarian Award by uh, Woody Harrelson, who gave a very funny speech. Um, so what was it like in the room? Because uh, I hear it was very star-filled. <laughs> star-saturated, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's incredible being in that ballroom. This is a private event. It's not public-facing, and this it's by invite only. But there were more celebrities in that room than waiters. Um, it, you turn around every table, there was somebody, and, and major, major people. I mean, this is, this is the kind of event that attracts celebrities like Cher to be presenters, not even, and they're not even winning awards, but people yeah. like Cher and, and Jeff Bridges are there. Yeah. It's and incredible. to uh, Diane Warren's point, she said, Cher doesn't go east of the 405, which anyone from Los <laughs> Angeles knows. Yeah, if you don't have to cross that freeway, don't. <laughs> right. And I think that the reason for that is because, and, and I wrote about this recently, but the governor's awards are actually a very geeky affair. They used to be presented during the telecast, and then they were trying to cut down the telecast. They shifted it off. But basically, it's for people who love Hollywood history and want to celebrate people who should have won Oscars, but for one reason or another, never quite made it. Someone like Diane Warren has 13 nominations and no wins. I mean, clearly should have probably won three or four times already. And Peter Weir, he's a director that's made masterpieces, multiple masterpieces. If you talk about Witness and Dead Poets Society, Master and Commander, um, but just never quite crossed the finish line when it came to competitive Oscars. So what I was surprised by, and, and what I think is really, um, you know, what, what's really interesting to me is the fact that you see that every movie star is essentially a film fan. At, at first, they're a film fan before they become a film star. And so everyone there is really just wants to learn from these masters. And you see Tom Hanks, like, leaning in, you know, enraptured by comments by Peter Weir. You see, like, everyone listening to Yuzon Palsy talk about what it was like to be the first black woman to get a green light from a, 
a, a like major motion picture studio that was MGM for a dry white season in 1989. And, and the celebrities, Jennifer Lawrence and Viola Davis and everyone, they, they want to learn from these people. They want to be a part of that legacy and attached to it. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. What was your, uh, what was your highlight of the event? Oh, wow. I mean, there were, there were a few, um, uh, but I think my, my favorite moment, which is, was galvanizing to be in the crowd was when policy came on and she was talking about the risk that MGM took on her to make a dry white season. And she said, black is bankable. Women, female is bankable. Black and female is bankable. And everyone leapt out of their seats and gave a standing ovation. And it was like um, doubly important for the fact that all the people, and this is a power room. These are people that can greenlight future projects. And, and the idea of someone using their moment like that to really speak truth to power, that, that's great. And none of these speeches get interrupted. There's no time limits. There's no cameras. There's no wrap it up, please. So it's, it feels like um, it just, it, and everyone is introduced by friends. Michael J. Fox was introduced by Woody Harrelson and they've known each other since the eighties and cheers. And um, so it's, it's, it just feels a lot more intimate. It, it, I think that that was, if I had one takeaway and it's why I went last year as well, you get to see celebrities sort of expose this sort of inner nerdiness, which I think is, I think that's cool. Yeah, I hope that uh, policy moment makes it into the highlight reel that we will see. They always include highlights in the 2023, uh, you know, in the Oscars. So hopefully we will see that. Um, and I teased earlier that Film Independent revealed its Spirit Award nominations. Uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once leads all nominees with eight, followed by Tar and After Sun, I believe both with seven apiece. Um, let's talk about uh, the best feature uh, category, which includes uh, everything everywhere all at once, tar, as well as bones and all, uh, our father, the devil, and women talking. Um, I, I mean, I, not that we need to like throw out predictions just yet, but this feels like it's going to be a year, uh, especially on in the indie circuit, between everything everywhere all at once, which it's kind of weird to think of as an indie film, but it truly is, uh, and tar. Yeah, I mean, I think I and I think um, I'd throw women talking in there, too, um, just because I, I think that's gotten that's got a lot of momentum behind it. But I don't know. I mean, everything everywhere all at once. I think just down the line, there's just so much love for it. Um, I I think it does have a shot in the Oscars best picture race um, um, as well as women talking um, and tar. But um, but I but I think. Um, just the feeling, you know, I'm, I'm not basing this on any kind of science, um, but that's just the anecdotal feeling for this movie. I think the fact that it's been able to sustain this much momentum since it came out, you know, in, in March, you know, 2021, um, I think is a testament to the love that people feel for this. And I feel like it's one of those emotional movies, um, much in the way that that Parasite was. Yeah. Um, that year um, that that I think people will be really happy to vote for it and would be happy if it won. Mm -hmm. and, and I say, you know, this is an indie film, by the way. It's on the, uh, you know, upper end of the uh, budget uh, requirements for what, you know, Film Independent um, considers, uh, you know, uh, eligible for Spirit Awards. This is not a movie that was made for $5 million. Uh, it, it was much more than that, but still um, compared to, you know, Black Panther made... <laughs> on next to nothing. Yeah. Squillions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's also, um, it, it has the status, everything uh, everywhere all at once has the status of being a 24s highest grossing film. It's upwards of a hundred million dollars gross. And I think that that's an undeniable factor in this bracket. I mean, it will be seen by thousands, if not millions more people than all the other nominees combined. Uh, and I and I say that as a, as a big fan of Tar and Women Talking. It's just sometimes it does come down to the oh, more people have seen it, more people will vote for it. And I do agree with you that there is a an emotional connection like Parasite. Where so there's there is a I, I remember I remember the Village Voice used to call it the Passion Dex. What's the Passion Dex of this film? And the Passion Dex for everything everywhere all at once is extremely high because you don't just love that film; you love, love, love that film. Yeah, 
yeah, especially the ending, uh, I think really seals the deal. Interesting this year is that the performance categories are gender neutral. So everyone uh, competes in the same category together. Uh, and for lead performance, the nominees are what well, we've been talking about everywhere all at once. Michelle Yeoh, of course. Uh, we've also talked about Paul Meskel for After Sun and Jeremy Pope for The Inspection. Other nominees, Kate Blanchett for Tar, Dale Dickey for A Love Song, Mia Goth for Pearl, Regina Hall for Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul, Aubrey Plaza for Emily the Criminal, uh, Taylor Russell for Bones and All, and Andrea Riseborough for To Leslie. Uh, what, what are your feelings there? Because that's a that's a great category. Does that work out to five and five? And no I believe female? so. One, two, three, four, five. Actually, no. Uh, it looks like we have eight women, two guys. Oh, wow. Okay. That's cool. I mean, this this is an experiment that, that I think a few... Uh, groups are doing this year. I know the Los Angeles Critics Group is doing this as well. Um, I think these all, I'm so thrilled by this list of performances. Um, And I love the idea of someone like Mia Goth, who actually pulled off three separate performances in both X and Pearl. You know, it's like that she's getting a little bit of attention, even if it's just making this bracket, I think helps. Um, I I don't know. I, 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 what do you guys think about this sort of gender free thing? I mean, my my issue uh, when I heard about it was that I was worried that that there wouldn't be enough um, women represent represented. If you could, if yeah. there was no boundary on how many could be nominated mm-hmm. um, for gender, um, then that was my fear. But it it didn't doesn't seem to be the case. <laughs> if they're, no, if they're yeah, I, I remember we too, talked so about nice. that. Yeah, yeah I remember we talked about that once in the office. Yeah, historically, yeah. The, the for gender free categories, women have dominated year after year. And what LA is doing this year is they're actually going to pick two awards to win lead performance and two awards to win best supporting performance. And they're both at an equal level. And I think the implication is if you wanted to, you could have a, a woman and a man both winning, or if you wanted to, you could have two women or two men. So it's, it's, it's an experiment that I think is worth trying and seeing how it yeah. plays out. Hundred percent, could not agree uh, more with that. It's, um, you know, I, I mean, I think we've all been saying it for a while now that, you know, it, it's happening at the Emmys as well. It's certainly happening at the Oscars that we look at, you know, the the lead actress categories, and it's like there, it feels like there are a lot more options uh, for for women to, you know get those five or seven or eight, however many slots there are versus the men. And um, I'm all for it. I mean, I'm also all for just expanding the number of best actor and best actress nominees um, at the Oscars. Uh, You know, we're we're limited to five. The Emmys get a bit more. Um, I I think there should be more than that. Um, Should be maybe perhaps like a percentage of the number of films uh, that are made or something like that, or the number of, uh, you know, uh, submissions in the category. But um, yeah, I I love this list. And if you made me pick right now, I couldn't. (laughs) Because <laughs> it's 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 that good. I, it, exactly to your point, someone like Mia Goth, I could see, um, you know, coming in and and getting the vote. Especially if I, I don't quite know how film independent votes, but I don't know if there's a possibility for people splitting the vote. Um, but you know, that, I feel like that's still always possible anywhere. Um, and the last um, award I want to talk about, you can see all of the nominees at EW.com. But uh, one award that I want to talk about is um, there are no nominees; they just pick the winner. It's the Robert Altman Award, which goes to the director, the casting director, and the ensemble cast. And the winner of this one is Women Talking. Uh, Clarissa, you've mentioned that one um, already here. I kind of thought maybe Everything Everywhere All at Once would get it, but um, I think Women Talking is a fantastic choice. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because it's casting that's that's included in that. And mm-hmm. I think Women Talking is so well cast. Um, I, 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 you know, it's not it's not usually the first thing that you notice. But maybe yeah. it shouldn't be, you know, mm-hmm. and that and that's why um, that's why I thought um, it was so well done in this movie. And it's quiet, you know, and it's talky, obviously. Um, but I think it's it's a nice way to reward it because it, I don't think it'll get the best picture. Um, mm. So I think I think maybe this is a way of sort of honoring um, this this movie and then also who it was. 
getting. Yeah. Well, and, and we may see uh, one or more of these women um, go the distance uh, mm -hmm. at the Oscars. I don't know. That is, of course, still to be determined. Um, what is not to be determined is what is coming up next on The Awardist, because uh, that is locked and done and loaded. It is our conversation with After Sun star Paul Meskel. Don't go anywhere. The Awardist will be right back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to The Awardist. All right, without any further ado, EW Awards correspondent Dave Carger sat down with After Sun star Paul Meskel. Let's get right to it. Enjoy. Hey there, welcome to The Awardist on Entertainment Weekly. I'm Dave Carger. Very happy to be here with Paul Meskel from the beautiful and very intriguing film After Sun. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. The writer-director, Charlotte Wells, did such a beautiful job in this film. It's a very different kind of film. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know how you were introduced to her and this film. Did you have a conversation with her first, or did you read the script first? What was the order of things? It was the latter. It was a script first. Um, I distinctly remember getting it from my agents late on a kind of Friday, reading it on the Friday, and quickly messaging them back and being like, can we set up a meeting with Charlotte? On because it was the kind of script that you read and you're like, I feel like everybody who reads this script is going to want to be in it. So trying to like push the push that as, as much as I could. And then I read it a couple more times. I think I read it twice more that weekend and um, watched her short films, Laps and Blue Christmas and uh, Tuesday, which I was just blown away by. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty traditional. It was like read the script. Then have the, I had the meeting with Charlotte. It's such a different kind of film visually. How, if at all, was that explained in the written script? It's pretty much all there. It's it's like, it's interesting. I've got that question a couple of times in terms of, is it a pretty spare script? And it's 96 pages, 97 pages. Um, and I think there isn't a huge amount of dialogue in the film, but there is pretty, ex in moments, pretty extensive stage directions, mm. which I think were a big um, reason for me wanting to do the film was seeing how much detail Charlotte had put into those kind of non-verbal moments, especially with Callum, where you're, especially towards the end of, end of the film where you're, an audience is leaning in towards him a little bit more. Mm. I just thought we're so beautifully observed in her writing of him, yeah. Were there any films from the past that Charlotte wanted you to watch before you filmed this? Because I know she was influenced by lots of other different filmmakers yeah i we, we didn't discuss that actually in um because i think charlotte was very keen for the tone to be her like she was in charge of that but it was my job to kind of um or to, to be very present with calm and for calm to feel feel very present tense and not to feel like a memory piece mm. so i like watched some of the films that like like somewhere and, and things like that which i'd seen before so it was just the perfect excuse to go back and watch them again mm. but um sofia coppola yes right? yeah yeah yeah, oh, wow. yeah that's a great choice yeah and tomboy and um films like that a lot of lynn ramsey's early work yeah it's surprising because you're so young to see you playing a dad <laughs> have you ever played a dad before no. in any medium actually is that i played a 55 year old man in uh my first ever play at drama school really to great success <laughs> um, no it was a uh, like the benefit of drama school you get to play all these amazing characters but this is my first uh kind of age appropriate dad i would say 
and relatively having, yeah and having a child opposite you totally yeah absolutely what was that first of all frankie corio who plays Sophie, your daughter she's great yeah uh, what was the process with her? Did you meet her before she was cast? Was she like a finalist and you met with her or did she just get the part and then you met she her? Was, uh, uh, Charlotte was keen to cast Sophie first. So Frankie was cast and I was brought in, I think, with one or two other boys. Um, and I remember reading with Frankie and I was like, you're a genius and you don't even know you're a genius yet. Or maybe she does. I have a sneaky suspicion that Frankie knows that she's exceptionally talented. <laughs> but um, yeah, we, we did uh, some improv games. Um, and then, you know, I just had a good feeling from the way that the interaction went that I was like, I think it might go our way. And it did. Which I'm, delighted about that's fascinating so she had the part yeah and there were a couple of you that were angling for Callum, for Callum so yeah. did she tell you afterwards that you did better than everybody else yeah she actually told me who I was up against and I think I'll never say who, who, who it was but uh, I think she was uh, she, she was key, she was keen to tell me that it was somebody that she'd seen on the telly and she hadn't seen normal people um, which I'm grateful for, but uh, yeah, it was somebody else. So I'm was. not asking you to tell me who it was, but when you found out who it was, were you like, good on you? I was like, that guy's a really, really good actor, so I'm really happy that it went <laughs> my way. Yeah. The movie is so interesting in its tone and in its feel. It feels very loose mm -hmm. when you're watching it. it. It just has an ease to it. It also has something of what I would describe as like a voyeuristic quality that in some ways we're almost as an audience seeing what we're not meant to be seeing we're seeing yeah. these very private moments how did that influence how it felt on the set did it have a loose feel did it have a voyeuristic feel in the making of it the the making of it is like i'm sure you hear this all the time but it, the, the the feeling of making it was very different to like the especially with with frankie because we only had her in front of camera for four hours a day so there was a kind of kinetic energy to that which i think was really useful because mm -hmm. You just embrace the energy that Frankie brings. Um, and then there was a very distinct energy shift when I got to be by myself with Charlotte because we just had more, we had lots of time to film a lot, a lot of those kind of um, isolated column fragments. So there was two kind of, there was like A and B energy that were very, very different. Mm. Yeah. How do you get in the mindset of being a dad when you're not one? Like, yeah, I, I didn't, it wasn't kind of my in to the character wasn't that he was a dad because I, I would have found, I, I think I would have been general in my choices because mm. I don't, ha I don't have that. Of course, I can imagine what it would be like. I, I'm my father's son and, and all of that. But I think my in was in the two weeks in the lead up, myself and Frankie got to hang out before we were filming for two weeks in Turkey. And it was about kind of becoming friends with Frankie and, and Sophie, because I think that's actually what that relationship is. It's not a standard father-daughter yeah. relationship. I think they're friends first and foremost. And of course there's like, he's a disciplinarian when he wants to be and when he's nervous about certain corners of the world that he doesn't really want her to venture. But then there's other moments when he's like, I've taken all the drugs in the world and you can too, just promise me that you'll tell me. So I think there's loads of you're basically seeing a young man navigating being a father and I was able to access the young man a little bit easier than I was the father and I just hoped that the love that I felt for Frankie would translate into something that felt authentic and I do think it feels authentic. It feels so real. Good. <laughs> yeah, and you and you get the sense, and I'm trying to remember quite frankly if this is explicitly spelled out in the film, but you definitely get the sense that he's not the primary parent no they're, yeah they're on this holiday together yeah. it's a short time that he has with absolutely her. yeah can you tell me what kind of notes charlotte wells gave you that were helpful in the filming in the film so in the lead after i'd been cast it was about two two or three months in leading into the film and myself and charlotte would speak on the phone once mm -hmm. or twice a week just kind of long form conversation and Ultimately, it would be kind of me talking about what I thought was the case. And I, th I think for a film that it, Charlotte describes as autofiction and as um, personal, but as also like she gave me a huge amount of um, canvas in which to like paint myself, which I think um, is such a gift to get from a, a director. So a lot of it was like 
notes would only really come in if there was something that she didn't really... F if there was like a little pu a gentle push in a direction that she wanted to go, but it wasn't heavily noted. Mm. I, I, I think it was kind of... Charlotte has a wonder wonderful way of like kind of collaborating really quietly with her actors. So you don't feel like it's... Um, nothing feels broad in her films, mm. which, or in, her, in this film, yeah. I know that you've been praised before for your accent work in some stage work that you've done. How difficult is it for an Irishman to do a Scottish accent? See, I, it was one of those that in drama school I couldn't do. I was like, uh, well, look, I'll never have to play a Scottish person. And then, of course, the script the jury that I was just obsessed with required a Scottish accent. And it's weird. Something, it's not like it, like work went into it. I worked with a dialect coach even for the for the audition and uh, I think I think it's just when you're motivated like when there is an actual like pressure put on where you're like you've got to if you want to play this part you've got to be able to do this and um, it was the first it was the first time that I've actually stayed in accent throughout a, a shoot which oh, I, really? I, I really enjoyed I kind of feel nervous about stuff like that because you you hear of actors doing it and sometimes I cringe and, like which isn't a reflection on them it's kind of something that I've always been like Ugh, about Whereas actually the, in, in the doing of it, I really enjoy the kind of liberation of that. Yeah. The movie is really interesting because it doesn't spell everything out, right? Mm -hmm. We're learning about Callum and we're thinking as an audience, is he depressed? Is he alcoholic? Yeah. We never find out. Did you have answers in your mind as to what he was going through? Yeah, I, I, th I th those were the kind of conversations that I would have had with Charlotte in the lead up to it. And then I think a couple of weeks out from filming, I think it was important for us to kind of loosely... We had an idea that there was probably some severe depression going on there or a version of that. But then the closer we got to filming, the less keen I was to diagnose him. Because I think the point to me that I find so tragic about the film is that he doesn't know what's happening to him. Mm. So it, conversely, if you're, the, if you're then kind of prescribing a kind of set of feelings or emotions onto him, think it can become quite like clear cut and I think what is so upsetting to him and what kind of generates that sense of feeling of anxiety and panic is that there's something going on in his brain and his body that is bigger than he can tolerate mm. and um, that was uh, that was a, a discovery I think that we both made getting close to filming which I thought was really useful actually. At the end of the movie, as an audience member, you think to yourself, do these two ever see each other again? Mm -hmm. I think they don't. You don't have to tell me what you think, but do you have an answer in your head? I do. do? Yeah, I, I do, but it depends on which perspective you're looking at it from, I think. that's Meaning what? Meaning whether it's the young Sophie or the adult Sophie's perspective that you're talking about. Or maybe both, but, but I, um, I feel like that's... What I love about the film is the amount of people who come out with the same feeling, but very different responses to that question, mm. I think is um, the mark of a filmmaker who's really confident and doesn't feel the need to explain to an audience, but it still feels confident that the feeling is going to land with them. Absolutely. What has Frankie's response been to the acclaim of this film? I think she's having a ball, yeah, as I would, if as I am. Um, she's, I think she's incredibly pr proud. I think we've got to go to the most kind of amazing parts of the world together promoting a film that we made. I think it was one of the, the only films that we made and nobody knew we were making it. We announced it like a month before Cannes. Wow. So it all kind of has happened there was no anticipation for the film. It premiered at Cannes and then has built its audience and kind of um, hearsay about the film since then. So it's, it has been a full-on experience for me and her, I think. How would you say making this film changed you as an artist and as a person? I think it's... I find that question... I, I'll probably have a way better answer for you in about three years' time because <laughs> okay. it takes time to percolate. But I think... It is, it, it has forced me or asked me to remember my relationship with my own parents from when I was 10 and 11 and 12 mm. in a way that I haven't ever thought about. And kind of how demanding 
it is on parents when you suddenly when you're a child you look up to these like they're icons that they are your the people who teach you everything yeah but you they, i what i think this film does is it shows you that your parents don't always have the answers but they're expected to have them mm. um but i get come back to me in three years and i'll have a more eloquent answer hopefully i'm gonna hold you to that grace uh paul mescal you did a great job in this movie congratulations very much. movie's Thanks. called after sun check it out well i mean if you couldn't love paul mescal anymore there's that interview uh so so uh voters uh i hope you listened um because the, the guy is just uh like you said i believe uh clarissa he's so charming He's very good at what he does, and we're going to have a lot more opportunities to see more from him coming up. He has already filmed uh, a few projects, the movie Carmen, directed by Benjamin Millipier um, and uh, co-starring Melissa Barrera from In the Heights. He has also shot the movie Faux with uh, Saoirse Ronan, and uh, he is co-starring with Claire Foy and Andrew Scott and Jamie Bell, a great cast in this one, the movie Strangers. I believe that's one that is still looking for a distribution, but with a cast like that, hopefully. Uh, we get to see that one sooner than later. Um, I, I, he, I think this guy is just going to be a huge star. And to normal people, people, he is a huge star. <laughs> he already is. And he does have that, right? He has that expectation, that energy about him. He feels like a, to, I'm, I'm dating myself, but he feels like a young Merrill. Like he could go mm. that kind of distance in terms of the transformative performances, the willingness to take dares and not pigeonhole himself. Um, and, and at least at this point, he hasn't, you know, he hasn't really kind of done a sort of one for them, one for me type of situation. He's committed, I think, very admirably to to movies that have real significance and, and TV series like Normal People. So yeah. until I see him wearing spandex in some Marvel production, I'm going to say <laughs> he's he's my pick for a young rising new actor to, to bet on for sure. Breaking news, Paul Meskel to star in... No, I'm kidding. Could, <laughs> could you imagine? The news will break the day Aren't after this podcast hope? hits. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I agree with you. He's he's just fantastic. And and uh, all, the, all the best to him. We're going to see a lot more from him, hopefully. And hopefully I will see more of you, Josh and Clarissa, back here on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thank you Thanks for, for having, having us. Of course, uh, folks, that is it for this episode of The Awardist. If you like what you heard, please follow, rate the podcast, and leave us an award-winning review on Apple Podcasts. And to keep the conversation with us going, you can follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials. We're at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag me at Jared Hall. We'll see you back here next week. This episode of The Awardist podcast is hosted by Jared Hall, produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio, Edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening.